Hello, and welcome to our Connected Philanthropy podcast. Today, we are privileged to have Mandy Pierce and Marie Palacios of Funding for Good as our guests. And we are talking about the top three ways nonprofit boards drive the organization's direction. Now, Mandy and Marie bring a wealth of knowledge and experience to this topic and have a rich history and passion for helping nonprofits with their leadership development and specifically how nonprofit leaders can partner and work effectively with their boards. Uh, We've had them as guest trainers on several of our education webinars, and they have shared many blogs, articles, and other resources with our communities. So thank you for joining us today, Mandy and Marie. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. I am excited to be discussing this topic today. Uh, Effective boards is such a big factor for nonprofit leaders. I know you both have a lot of advice and insights to share with us, so let's just dive right in. What are those three ways that boards drive the organization's direction? There's lots of ways boards can do it, but there's the three primary ways are going to be establishing the identity of the organization. And typically this comes at the founding of an organization, but the clarity is missing. A lot of those well-intentioned founders start a nonprofit and they say, I'm doing it to address food disparities or all these things, but maybe it's not phrased in a way that resonates with the board and the community. So it's definitely the board's job to clarify the identity of the direction in the form of a vision statement. So a vision statement explains, you know, where we want to be in the future, what the future is going to look like. It's the why we exist. So again, while that is established at the founding of the organization, boards need to go back, revisit that statement and say, what is our identity statement? Because if we don't know it, how are we supposed to share that with the community? So that's the first one is, you know, why do we exist? The big one. And vision statements can be tweaked and edited, but they really shouldn't change in context a lot over the period of years because that's the long-term direction of the organization, why it exists. The second thing is really defining the scope of work of the organization. So what is that scope of work? It's the mission statements, the what we do, the how we're going to accomplish the vision. And finally, the third thing is really making sure that we have plans to define growth of the organization's vision, mission, all of those things. And that comes in the form of a strategic plan. A lot of organizations have annual plans, but that strategic plan is really future driven, saying this is where we want to be down the road. How do we get there? So vision, mission, and strategic plan are three primary ways that every board should be driving their organization's direction. Yeah, key word, should. I like that. (laughs) So let's go back to that first one. And and, uh, I've heard this question before. Does a nonprofit really need a vision statement? Isn't their mission statement enough? Can you spend some time there? Absolutely. So typically when we're out serving as ambassadors for an organization and someone says, oh, what do you do? We immediately lead with the the mission, what what we're doing. You know, we do X, Y, or Z. But imagine if I came up to you and I just said, hey, Tammy, let's jump in the car and go somewhere. We're going to take the car and we're going to drive for five hours. Well, that's what we're going to do, but you don't know the destination. So how inspired are you to actually come along for the ride? The vision statement is all about why we exist, but it really is designed to inspire So I live in Burke County and a sample vision statement might be no neighbor hungry in Burke County. That's why we exist. We don't want a neighbor that's going to be hungry in our community, right? Now, our mission is how we address that. It might be we address hunger disparities in our county through backpack programs or Meals on Wheels or a food pantry or soup kitchen. Lots of different ways to address food disparities. 
But if I came up to you and you saw me loading up groceries in the grocery store and said, what are you doing? I say, ah, I work for an organization that has a vision that no neighbor be hungry. That's going to inspire you and say, how can I help? The mission should follow that. So if we can't explain the destination, the why, then why would anyone feel inspired to jump on board and participate in the how, which is the mission? Excellent. Yeah. So so do you have other examples or analogies? I love that, that the how and the why of, of what, what are the differences between a vision statement and a mission statement? Absolutely. So the vision statement defines why we exist. It's that long-term goal. It's the what we want to accomplish in the future. And because it's long-term, it should always be just a little bit out of reach, just a little bit out of reach. In, you know, that contrasts with the strategic planning vision, which is something that we can attain in the next three to five years. But your long-term vision is very similar. What I just gave the example of no neighbor hungry in Burke County. Now, it is highly unlikely at any point in our future that there will be a time when no neighbor is hungry. Someone might walk over the county line. There might be someone, you know, needing, you know, needing support, but it gives us something to strive for. So the vision statement is something you're going to strive to complete year after year after year. The mission statement, the how we get there, is designed to inform. So vision is inspire, mission is inform. This is how we do it. We address it through food pantry programs, soup kitchens, and things like that. But it can be changed because as the community changes and the resources change, maybe another organization steps up. Maybe every faith-based group in your community adopts a school and takes on the backpack program you were spearheading. Well, that's when a board has to step back and say, this is how we've been working towards this vision but other groups have stepped in. So our how, our mission is not current and relevant, but the vision should still drive us forward. There are still neighbors hungry in Burke County. Where are those gaps and how should we adapt our mission so that we can continue forward towards that vision that we've established? So again, that vision drives you forward. It's a destination that you're continually moving for uh, towards. If you achieve that vision, then why does your organization need to exist? You could close your doors tomorrow, right? But having a vision statement to keep you moving in that same direction informs a mission so that you can make adaptations as your community changes. And for a lot of organizations who want to fundraise and create sustainability for their organizations, it is highly imperative that you have a well-defined mission and vision because foundations ask, what is your mission and your vision? What are your goals? What are your objectives? And those will change over time. Some foundations will only ask for the mission. Some foundations will only ask for the vision. And I've worked with organizations before who are like, oh, we don't have a vision statement or what's the difference in those two or why do we need that? And you have to have a mission statement when you establish your organization for most states and for the IRS just to put it on your paperwork. But most people don't spend the time and thought into a mission envisioning session to say, What is it that we're going to do and how are we going to do it so that we can connect with the people who want to support the impact we're creating? And that's why it is so important, because almost every funding stream you're going to have, whether it's a faith based donor or a foundation or planned giver or a business or corporate sponsor, they want to know how are we going to connect? How does this align with our priorities? And if you can't say that, then it really hurts your chances at securing some of those finances. Absolutely. And. And we live in a Twitter TikTok world. So what used to be half page vision and mission statements, that's not resonating with communities anymore. So people always say, when should we review and revise? And I always say, go into your boardroom, go into your staff meeting and say, who can stand up right now and verbatim share our vision and mission statement? Most of the time when we do that, I'd say maybe one or two people in the room can do it. 
if the ambassadors of the organization who are the board members and the staff cannot remember the vision and mission statement, then that's probably the best indicator that it's time to revisit. Because if it doesn't resonate with your own leaders, how is it going to resonate with people down the road? So we always encourage you to use that as a little litmus test. Can anyone say it? Or if you do know it, do you use it in the way it's meant to? Are you constantly adapting it because it doesn't roll off the tongue? It's too long. It's just what's not working. If people aren't using the statement as it's been crafted, you know, you can make some slight tweaks. But if they're just completely disregarding it, why? What's not working? It's time to revisit. We need something Twitter, TikTok world, something that resonates in a quick moment with with the average Joe on the street. That's great. I love that litmus test there. And um and, and what you said, Marie, about um, when and and the fact that you can and should look at mission statement and, and should it be refreshed or, or revisited. And Mandy, uh, that's the one that I I had heard before of, you know, examples of nonprofits changing their mission statement just to align with funders or funding opportunities. And since we work with with both grant makers and grant seekers, you know, we, we see that the if you're not really clear and aligned and, and steady on your mission, um, then you're chasing funding and, and probably not as effective. But uh, it, it doesn't mean that your mission should never change. So no. I, I love that. And and uh, you gave that litmus test of of when it should be reviewed and, and revised, or at least one indicator if it doesn't roll off the tongue, if, if people aren't really clear on it. But as, as nonprofits uh, are working on crafting those core statements, both the vision and, and the mission, what, what things should they hold in their mind? What uh, are, are there, you know, uh, signposts or, or key concepts that they need to be keeping in their mind as they wor- do that work? Absolutely. You know, obviously length is very important. We know that some of the top 30, if you just Google the top 30 vision mission statements, you're going to find that they have fewer than 17 words. Things like a hunger-free America, a world without MS, those are common vision statements for national-based organizations, and those have three or four words. So really looking at the length and saying most people can't remember more than three chunks of information. So packing in a long list of your programs shouldn't be happening in there. You know, you want to give your space, your um, organization space to grow. So one is length. The other thing is, what exactly are you conveying? So remembering that the vision statement is designed to inspire. No neighbor hungry, a world without MS, a hunger-free America. That tells you what the end goal is, but we always know it's going to propel our mission statement. So if I say, Tammy, let's get in the car and drive, we might decide we're heading north today, but then we might get bored and head south, or we might go northeast. We can always change our direction, but if we said our destination is California, We're going to continue to head in that direction, even if we detour very, very slightly. So the vision is that end kind of destination. It keeps everything you do on on mission modifications in check. It allows you not to have that what we call mission drift or some people say mission creep. I say mission leap. Sometimes people just leap away from their mission because they don't have a vision. They're thinking our goal. I think recently we're working with an organization and we said, what's your mission? They said, we just fill all the gaps in the community. So if there's a need, we try to fill it. Well, how do you do all things well? We can't. So having the vision of, is this a hunger disparities group? Is this a mental health practice? Is this an educational effort? Having that vision statement keeps us on task and certainly we can change that mission. So 
when crafting, be generally specific. Don't be so specific that you have to change it every time you address a new program, like we address hunger disparities through our certain named program. You don't have to put the program name. You could say through soup kitchens or outreach efforts. So be generally specific in your mission statement and, you know, give yourself room to grow. So give overarching things you do like advocacy or outreach, not, you know, the nitty gritty. Give yourself room to grow. grow. And in the vision statements, I guess the best advice there is what would the future look like if you were to wave a magic wand? Back in the day when we got started, I think probably over 20 years ago, vision statements were introspective. It was we want to be the beacon organization. We want to be the greatest, the most sought after, the go to organization. And that's fine. But nowadays people are saying, OK, that's all and well, but what are you doing for the community? So we're seeing vision statements outward facing. We want a hunger free America. We want a no neighbor hungry. We're saying if we're successful, this is how the community will change not just that we are the best organization at addressing hum hunger. So I would say that's the biggest shift over the last two decades is moving from the introspection of we, what we want to be as an organization to what we want to create as far as impact in the in the communities we serve. Which sort of aligns with all the messaging in fundraising. You know, we took all the eyes out of direct mail appeals and funding requests, and we've kind of made it, this is the impact you can create as the donor, and this is how you can help the community and those sorts of things. It's It aligns perfectly with the changes that we've seen in nonprofits in general. Yeah, yeah, I see that. Um, talk to me more about your programs. I'm just so interested in, in uh, having uh, folks like yourself on, on our podcast that that go out and meet with so many nonprofits and you get to see the transformation and the change of how a nonprofit was operating and maybe floundering or just not being as effective and then doing these workshops. So, you know, don't give away your secret sauce. Tell us where to go to get that. But, but just explain the, the fun you have or the types of activities you go through that are, that really, you know, motivate and, and change the trajectory, perhaps, of a nonprofit? So we actually do a lot of strategic planning facilitation and meeting facilitation and staff. I won't say conflict resolution, but sometimes that's what it is. But, um, development. <laughs> you know, kind of structured conversations that have an end goal. And what we most often see is that we will have a group come together that's very divided and a lot of them don't want to participate. And they're like, this is going to suck. I don't want to do it. And, you know, they're very anti the whole process, which I get because I don't really love that kind of stuff myself either. But at the end of the process, people have seen all their ideas get represented. We use a, a method called the technology of participation, the top method. And it's an evidence-based model that really forces everybody's ideas to show up in the room to be heard and for everybody to build consensus around how they want to move forward, what their goals are going to be, and what the plans are going to be, whether it's a, you know, a development plan or a strategic plan or whatever the end goal is that we're working on. And we, yet, we haven't yet had an organization that hated the process, didn't like the end result, or didn't understand how we got there. And they're all excited at the end of the second day because they're like, we know how we're going to move forward. We know what we're going to do and who's going to be responsible. And we're going to be able to track our success and measure everything we've done with implementation steps and timelines and all those things. 
And really, it's just about putting some structure in place and making sure everybody's voice has been heard and that there is consensus at the end of the day on what you're going to do to move forward with the board and the staff both participating in those decisions. And everything aligning with the vision and mission. So anytime we work with a client, whether it is conflict resolution or whether it's strategic planning, one of the first things we ask is, is your vision and mission statement current and relevant? Because if we're not in agreement about that destination, that we're a hunger disparities group or a mental health group, then how can any of these conversations have context? Like content without context is just meaningless. So anytime we work, we want to make sure there's context to the conversations and we go back to the identity of the organization, the vision, the mission statement, their scope of work, and we operate within those parameters to do all strategic planning, conflict resolution, or brainstorming. And as someone recently told us, we should say brain blissing. Um, all of those processes, <laughs> we make sure that they they go back to that vision and mission statement. So again, most people see it as a, as a statement on a piece of paper. We see it as the most basic level of consensus, two sentences that say our team's in agreement about why we exist and how we're getting to our end goal. And if we don't have consensus around two sentences, how can we achieve consensus around strategic planning or anything else? So we always encourage people, if you want to do a trial run, do, go through a visioning session, just revisit your vision and mission. And that right there will show you how much your team is on the same page, um, what the different communication styles are, because try getting 20 people in the room and agreeing on two sentences. So we have processes for that, but it's it's always a fun challenge. <laughs> and in the nonprofit world, you know, board members rotate a lot. You don't always have the same board members. So if you had a great mission and vision when you were established 10 years ago and you haven't revisited it, you've got a lot of new people on your board and probably your staff as well. It, it really does need to be revisited to make sure the people that are there now agree with how you should move forward and what you're working towards. Because if those things don't align, then it creates dissension in your organization. Some people think this is what we should be doing. And some people interpret it this way. When you get everybody on the same page, you have less of those issues. I won't say that it resolves every issue in the mm -hmm. world, but it definitely makes it easier to stay on the same track and move forward as a team. Mm -hmm. Darn it. I thought you guys had the answer to all the world's problems there. <laughs> and I know the people who could fix it. No. Uh, it's so. like walking through peanut butter. We said there's lots of great theories out there. And we, we used to laugh. We would go to these trainings when we were starting out in, in the nonprofit sector. And we just wanted someone to tell us not just what to do, but how to do it. And we'd go, get so frustrated. Everyone would be like, you need to do this. Well, the reality is putting this into practice can be like walking through peanut butter. But if you work with a facilitator or someone that can drive a focused conversation, can open up the floor and say, OK, let's get all these ideas out there. It makes it that much easier. Um, I know that I've never facilitated a process for the group in which I was leading because you can't be a neutral facilitator and an active participant. And that's a common mistake we see when people do the visioning and mission process is the person who wields the Sharpie wields the power. And <laughs> it's just the truth. I mean, if you've got the Sharpie, it's like, I can write whatever I want on this board. So when we revisit that vision and mission, when we offer strategic planning services, that's part of our package because we know that people don't want to go out and pay for that separately, but also they don't realize what they're missing. You don't know how valuable it is to have hundred percent active participation and be able to just participate. Um, and let someone else be, you know, the facilitator and be the bad guy for shutting down and say, nope, we're getting into the weeds. So that's another little tidbit of advice is it's like being the coach at your kid's little league game. <laughs> you can't really appreciate the whole game because you're just focused on the one thing you're coaching at the moment. 
and if you can sit in the crowd and watch it, then you can really like see everything that's happening and take it all in. So, you know, yeah, you can't coach and participate. So that's, you know, people want to go through that. (laughs) I've been in some, some of those uh, sessions for what, whatever reason or purpose, uh, there's a great facilitator and it just makes all the difference because, um, you're right about everybody feeling heard. And so many times, so many times people are saying the same thing in a different way, or they don't have the same yardstick to measure which one's a higher priority. So yeah, there's two things that could get you further down that road to California or whatever, the, but which one should, it's, it, it may not be an all or nothing. So as, as you become clear on that vision and mission, I could see that that really sets a good framework and, and uh, yeah, being, being the coach and the referee and just making sure the game, you know, is fun and, and uh, accomplishes the goal. I see that. So um, what, talk to me more about the strategic planning process too. So after you have that, you know, direction and why, and, you know, those elements of the mission and vision, uh, how, how often or, or what, what key things about strategic planning and thinking of the future do you see get off track the most? Well, the one thing I love about the strategic planning process, because I started out as a grant writer only back in the day, right? My, my baby career started as a grant writer. And I know now that if I had had a strategic plan for every organization I ever had to write grants for, my job would have been so much easier because I would have been able to look at it and say, where are we trying to get and what money do we need to raise and how can I go forth and find the foundations that want to support that? In an organization as a whole, the strategic plan serves as, Marie said, the roadmap. And from that roadmap, you then can create a development plan with appropriate budgets. And from your development plan, you can create a donor plan. And from a donor plan, you can create a marketing plan. So really the strategic plan is that big be all end all tool that you can use for every other thing you have to create within your organization for three to five years, depending on the timeframe that your plan covers. The way that we do our process, it sort of breaks the three year plan down into one year plans with quarterly implementation plans. And then from there you have monthly, like this is what we're going to do. This is who's going to do it. This is when it's going to get done. So you can review that plan at the end of every quarter. What do we accomplish? What do we still need to do? Let's write the next nine month or 90 day plan. And by the end of year one, hopefully you've accomplished a majority, if not all of your plan, maybe even some of the next year's plan. And then you do the next one year plan. And our clients that actually follow that process love it because they're seeing success they're one of our clients in Wyoming um, had us do their strategic plan two, two years, years ago. And they have followed that every single we go year. Back every we go every year. They do the quarterly planning. We go at the end of the year. They have started a capital campaign. They have grown their organization. They are just growing by leaps and bounds. And the rest of the community sees it. They're like, what is this organization doing to be so successful? And truly, it's the organization got together, the staff and the board, they created a plan that they all agree upon and they are executing it. And and that's what the purpose is. It's, it's Yeah, as Mandy said, it's the greatest tool in the fundraising cool, toolkit. We were asked to help write a grant template for a client and we said, we need your strategic plan. In order to do this, we're going to write 
the template based on your strategic plan. I didn't have to be an expert in the organization. I had to understand their strategic plan. We recently got an email from that client saying that they had leveraged over $615,000 using the one grant template we created and have 160 plus thousand pending. And literally we spent a few hours getting to know their organization, but we used their really well-crafted strategic plan to drive the fundraising. And I always say people expect development directors to be magicians or, you know, magic unicorns. And I like to say you could give the best jockey in the world a pony and send them to the Kentucky Derby. But if you don't put them on the horse that can compete, they're never going to win. Your jockey can be the best one out there. Your grant writer, your development director can be the best one out there. But if they don't have a tool in the form of a strategic plan, they cannot be successful. So it is the greatest tool in the toolkit, but it's also the greatest mediator. Oh, yeah. Um, Between staff and (laughs) and board. board. I, I tell every executive director that I talk to that says they have some complaint about a board member or the board as a whole, or they're frustrated because you know, you go to send a board meeting, they're like, Ooh, I have this idea. Let's do this thing. Let's write a grant for that. Whatever. All those phrases that board members say that just don't know any better. And when you have an amazing strategic plan, you have a mediator to say, that is an amazing idea. And I love it. And let's add that to the next strategic planning process for review, unless you want to rewrite the current strategic plan, because that doesn't align with what we've currently said we're going to do and how we're going to do it. So it's a perfect way to say no, but very, uh, very diplomatically, right? Well, you you guys agreed on this as a board, so let's use this and move forward. And when you have new ideas, we'll put them in the parking lot and revisit them at the next strategic planning meeting. Unless you can show us where they align with the current plan. Sometimes right. people can't express them well the first time, their ideas well the first time. So we say, dig a little bit deeper, look at the strategic plan. And if this is a strategy that will absolutely get us closer to one of our goals, let's discuss it further. So we're not going to completely just put it in the parking lot. If you can revisit the plan and bring those questions and comments back and we'll figure out if it works or if it's stretching just a little too much. So um, it keeps the board and staff on task. One of the biggest things we see with executive directors who are burned out is they think if I can write a grant to cover this new staff position, the board shouldn't care that it's outside the budget. And that's a false assumption because when you hire new staff, you're going to have to sustain them. And the strategic plan is there to say, okay, we're going to expand our staff or expand our capacity in these ways because we'll have set a strong foundation. And when we finally do that, we will be ready to support that um, ongoing position. So again, it keeps, it keeps everyone in check because the timeline is just as important as the content and those quarterly reviews help keep everyone on task. Oh, I love that using the the strategic plan to to have the the board be the bad guy to the board. I love it. No. <laughs> well, that's that's good guy, board. good guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly why we have to have board and staff in there. That's probably the top question we get is who needs to write a strategic plan? And the plans that we see fail the most are the ones that either staff completely created because they're the ones boots on the ground and then they send it to the board for approval and the board may rubber stamp it because they don't know any better, but then every time a budget item is needed or something needed is needed to go implement that plan, the board pushes back and says, well, we didn't agree to that. Well, you agreed to the end goal. This is our strategy. Or the board says we are the governing body. We will create the plan and they don't have the on the ground knowledge. So we like to have kites, those who are the visionaries, those that see the potential and the kite flyers, those who are grounded in the realities of the organization and the community to come together And the best processes require that the board and staff all engage and bring their contributions to the table um, to plan, you know, to make a plan that everyone can buy into. 
And it's also a great onboarding tool. As you bring on new board members, you can share the plan with them and say, this is where we started. This is how far we've come. This is what we still have left to do. And it's an easy tool to share for educating them on what you've done and what you're going to do going forward. But if you don't have that, then it's like, who's got the memory of all the things? What do we need to share with them? How do we create the content? All that stuff has to be created for new board members. Yeah. 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 And and we have a webinar uh, on that this week too, on onboarding your board, I think, right? Yes. Yeah. It's just part of a a larger series that you have in, in terms of this work that you're doing, right? Can you speak to, to that? So uh, you mean the webinar? Yeah, the webinar and what yeah. it's part of. Yeah. The well, so now this webinar is not part of the leadership development series that we have for this year. It's a separate webinar, but it really could be a part of the series if we wanted it to. It's onboarding strategies, and you're going to get some tools and templates and things to really help you as you create new onboarding strategies for your board of directors. And we have a nonprofit leadership development series this year called Leading with Intent. And Tammy can put the link in the show notes to let you see it's a 12 part series. And we're talking all about leadership development from staff leaders to board leaders to community leaders, just, you know, volunteers that are not board members. And if you have a need to learn more about that, it might be a great series for you to to have and share with some of your staff and board. Yeah, because I'm I'm seeing I'm I'm involved with the board right now, or and also I've seen it with with other uh, you know clients or people that we've met on in the that are struggling. They they do the strategic plan, three year strategic plan, whatever is you know the goal, and it's all pretty and beautiful and thought out, and everybody agrees, and they put it in a nice binder and put it on the shelf. And then the, you know, literally the next month they're like, okay, what are we going to do? Let's, let's come up with some new ideas almost. And it's, you know, and then, oh my gosh, the three years is almost over. We need to refresh our, our uh, strategic plan. So they get it down and like, oh, look at all these things we haven't done yet. Or, you know, whatever it, it really uh, needs to be more of an active guide at, uh, as you've explained, and call it a living it can be so much more powerful. Yeah, I think an easy way to imagine a strategic plan is kind of like an itinerary for a trip. So when I lead trips to Guatemala a couple times a year, I post an itinerary months and months in advance, even a year in advance, and I say we're going to leave from Charlotte Douglas Airport on this day. We'll arrive in Antigua, where we'll spend the night. The next day, we're going to travel to a local village. We're going to do a Mayan tour, and it's everyone knows about where we'll be for the eight days. So we say, yep, we're going to be visiting with the community or installing water filters or doing X, Y, or Z. So it's the itinerary. And we know every day this is where we're going to be. But they don't know the name of our driver, what they're having for breakfast, you know, if we're going to take a bus or, you know, a van. That's the detailed itinerary. So the difference between a strategic plan and the annual implementation plan is just that. The strategic plan says, here's the major bullet points, our our goals, our measurable goals. You will know if you've arrived or not. We'll be in this place. But how we're getting there and all the steps to getting there, that's your implementation plan. That's the detailed itinerary that my participants get right before the trip. It tells them what they're having for breakfast and what their things are. And it aligns with that itinerary that they signed up for. So think of your strategic plan as the board and staff has signed up for this. And each year, or actually we do it every quarter, we say, 
let's look at our next quarter's goals. Um, do we need to adjust any of our strategies? Did we have a transportation issue? Did something happen? And we make those mod modifications in the implementation plans, just like a tour guide must do when actually facilitating a trip. They know where they need to be, but sometimes we have to make changes. And that's called the implementation piece of a plan. And a lot of facilitators stop short of that. They stop with the big plan and then no one knows how to actually do the little pieces. So we make sure everyone walks away with the implementation plan steps as well. That's, one that's, biggest things, that's one of our biggest things as a company in general. We don't just tell people what to do, but we help them learn how to do it. A lot of people only tell you what to do. <laughs> and it creates dependency. Yeah, but, we're not interested in that. But once you have a clear vision, mission, and a strategic plan and the tools to implement it, having someone that can hold you accountable, check in is great, but you want something that you can actually do in-house. And, you know, they, they kind of all build on each other. And I know we're talking about the boards, the way the board can guide direction. Well, vision, mission, and strategic plan. I mean, those are the things that if you have, have in, let's say, invested in those processes and gotten the quality content that you need, then it's going to be so much easier to guide the organization. Yeah, and it helps define when you're out of your role, too, of, yes. you know, this is what the board should do. And uh, we had a previous podcast about that, and I'll, I'll uh, link to that in the show notes, too, because it's so related. Oh, I, I just have so many questions. I could go on forever. <laughs> and and the, I really do want to emphasize what you just said, Marie, when I met you I don't know how many years ago, I'm like, yes, this, this is, these are the type of partners we want to have because they're out there thinking of how this all fits. But when they, when you, when you talk to people and work with them, there's some tools, there's templates, there's something they could do the next 15 minutes they get off the webinar. And that's, that's, that's something that is an inspiring in terms of direction and why you're doing it. But then it's also immediately inspirational in terms of like, I know the first few steps and, and you really arm people for success that way. I, I really appreciate how you do that. Thank you. Well, as I said, I could go on forever with questions as long as you're answering. <laughs> but this, this has been so helpful in, in understanding how how the board can really help a nonprofit organization you know achieve their mission and, and keep on the the path and the set the direction. So thank you again. I, I want to give you both a shout out, Mandy and Marie, for helping our community learn more about how boards uh, should play when they're working right. And um, same with the organization's leadership. Uh, also, thank you for calling out all the helpful resources. I'm going to pull, put those into the show notes for sure. And also a couple, uh, you know, webinars and articles that you've written on this topic for us in the past too. So let's, let's call that a wrap. If you've learned something today from today's Connected Philanthropy podcast, please share it with others who might benefit from it as well. We look forward to connecting in our future webinars, podcasts, and our community discussion platform, Compass, and we wish you all the best success. And again, thank you for all you do, and thank you, Mandy and Marie, for your time. Thanks for thank having you. us.